If you have a Bible, I hope you do, we'll be in 2 Peter today again. As you're turning there, I want you to know I sure am glad you're here. I'm sure glad to be here. I'm sure uh, that 10 years ago, I met this wonderful woman and we were married. And uh, I sure am glad it's, that I've got these kids, all the ones not here today. Uh, they've been a blessing in my life. I'm sure glad that I'm pastoring with Pastor Andy. It's been a blessing. Um, there's a lot of things in my life I'm sure of. Some that I'm not so sure of. Wait, have I been down this road before? Does this sound familiar? Somewhat repetitive? Well, <clears throat> Peter reminds his readers of something. You know, we learn by repetition. And so uh, I hope you'll remember that illustration, but more than that, I hope you'll remember this message, and I hope as we remind you of some of these things that Peter does, uh, that you'll be encouraged. One of the things we'll be reminded of today is that, uh, is that God's Word is our sure source. This is God's Word. It is sure and steadfast. It does not change. It has never changed. And it will last throughout time. And so as we look at that, as Peter describes that, we're going to look at a couple different things, but I want to just remind you, he reminds his readers that their lives are hidden in Christ, that they have received grace, and they have faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord. He's reminding them that their, the Christian life is a quality life. There are certain qualities about Christians that exist. He reminds them that their lives are lives of virtue and knowledge and of self-control and steadfastness. And he goes on to tell them that they have the sure source in God's word. And so this morning, what I want us to look at is two faithful testimonies. We're going to look at a faithful testimony from the Apostle Peter, and we're going to look at a faithful testimony from all the scripture that God has given us. And so I hope by the time that we're done today, you'll have more faith in the word of God. Let's read First, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 18 to start, and then we'll get to 19 and 20 a little later. So Second Peter... Chapter 1, starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made it clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. The first thing I want you to see today is that we have a faithful testimony from Peter, a faithful testimony from Peter. Peter begins this passage by telling them that he intends to continually and always remind them of the aforementioned qualities through uh, uh, that they know them and are established in the truth in them. You ever hear a message on a Sunday morning or, or maybe you hear a message uh, throughout the week or, or listening to a sermon and you kind of think to yourself, man, I've heard this before. You know, this is, this is nothing new to me. This is kind of old hat, right? Uh, and it's almost as if, you, as if you become less interested in it because you've heard it before. But Peter here, it's almost as if he anticipates some of his readers saying, oh, here we go again. Same song, second verse. 
Here's Peter going on his rant about how we're supposed to live holy lives. And he goes on to tell, him, tell them that he's going to continue to remind them and even leave something for them to continue to remember these things. So it's important that we continually hear these things that he's talking about. Now, knowing the context that Peter's readers were in will help us because Peter goes on in his message to talk to them about false prophets and false teachers. Right? He's getting ready to warn them about these false teachers that will rise up among them. And if they don't know the truth, they will fall victim to the false teachings that are around them. Also, these people that Peter is writing to were suffering. They were facing many hardships in life. They were being persecuted, some of them, for their faith. And so to remember the things that you know are truth from God's word are important, especially in difficult times. When distinct teachings or, or different teachings come, that aren't godly, and when we're going through hard times, it's good to remember the basic qualities of the Christian life, the basic tools that, that we have. These things help us understand why we need to be reminded of the basic truths of Christianity. And aren't, aren't the things he mentioned basic? I mean, you're supposed to love one another. You've never heard that before in a Christian church, have you? You're supposed to be steadfast. You're supposed to be, supposed to be virtuous and holy. Those aren't things that are preached about very often, right? No, and he's reminding them of these simple, basic truths of Christianity. He's reminding them of the gospel. He begins his message talking about those who obtain faith of equal standing or they receive righteousness from Jesus Christ. He's reminding them of the gospel. These are things that will carry them through when false teachings come, when, when persecutions come. Why do you think we partake of the Lord's Supper every week? It's a, it's a reminder. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, every time you drink and eat of this, you remember my death. So we're, we're reminded of the gospel each week through the partaking of the Lord's Supper. As we celebrate his body broken for us and his blood shed for us, we're reminded of the gospel. It's good to be reminded of the gospel. I'm reminded of, uh, of comprehensive exams in college or comprehensive exams in high school or comprehensive exams in preschool, wherever you're at in life. Do you remember those tests that covered everything that you had learned up until that point? Those tests that were, were either, cover, if you were in one, one field like philosophy, which I, I spent some time studying, then they would give you an exam maybe a couple years into it that kind of, you had to remember all the things that you had learned. But more, more like biology. You just didn't want to hear the teacher say, we're going to have a comprehensive final. Because you know as well as I do, if you don't familiarize yourself with those things that you learned in the beginning, that by the time you get to that test, you're not ready for it. And so you need to be constantly reminded. So what do you do when you go to take those tests? You get back into the basics, right? You go back to the beginning and you begin to learn these things over again. And, and when you hear them, you're like, I knew that. I just needed to be reminded of it. Well, it becomes that way in the Christian life too. There, it's very easy for us to become lax in our lives. It's very easy for us to become at ease in Zion. We hear the things of God and we know the things of God, but they become lax in our lives. They become kind of something that we learned when we first became Christians. But they are so foundational to our lives that Peter here begins to remind them of these things. And that's what Peter's saying. If he if he failed to repeat these things, then he would be guilty of negligence to his readers. He reminds them of what they already know because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is often weak. We've got to know these things. So we can't rest uh, and, and lose the sense of urgency about pressing forward in the kingdom of God. We've got to remember those things. 
Perhaps the apostle Peter was thinking of his own pathetic experience. Do you remember after seeing the transfiguration, which he mentions in just a few minutes here, what he does? He says, I'll never deny you, Christ. Not very long after that, he denies him three times. So Peter realizes he needed to be reminded, and he's reminding us as well. So Peter reminds him. He knows his time is limited. We see that in verse 14. Uh, he said, my tent is, is slowly perishing, so to speak. I, um, you know, I will, I will soon be gone. Jesus has made it clear to him whether he had... Uh, whether he remembered the words of Jesus when, when, when Jesus reinstated him at that breakfast table on the shore when he said, when you're old, people will take you where you don't want to go and you'll be killed, those kind of things. Uh, or maybe it was some special revelation that he had received even recently that his time was coming close. We know there was great persecution in this time. Peter knew his time was coming. And so he says, uh, I'm going to remind you because I know that I'm not going to be here much longer. As long as I am in this body, I'm going to... Look at verse 13. I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. Now that term, stir you up, was a term that was used to awaken somebody from their slumber, from sleeping, or from just being sleepy. Right? Just, just someone who was just kind of tired. It was a way of stirring them up. So what I want you to do is right now just pause and look at your neighbor and make sure they don't need a good stirring up this morning. All right? you, might, you might need to stir up somebody next to you, shake them a little bit. Tell them, wake up, right? <coughs> what he is saying that we can't become lax in what we are established in. Historically, this is what happens in the life from the beginning of the Bible to the end. God's people Israel, they come out of, of Egypt, and what do they do? And they're fired up, right, initially, and then they, they start crying and whining. You look at the time of the judges, ups and downs, man, this... They, they focus on God's word. They're, they're like, yeah, we're sold out to this. And then eventually they become lax. And God has to send his discipline on them. It's, it's this vicious cycle in the life of, of these, these people of God. Good thing we're not like that, right? Good thing we're just all steadfast, always, always trucking. So Peter reminds them because he knows that's exactly what this life is like, man. We go through cycles where we're so fired up with God. And if we're not careful, we'll become lax in those the great revivalist preacher Ian Paisley uh, said these words, The church of Jesus Christ is largely sleeping, like a great bedroom. And you've all, the Christians in bed, and they're all sleeping. And they're saying, please, don't wake me up. I want to sleep on. And of course, when God starts to operate a revival, people cannot sleep. You can't sleep in church when the Spirit of God awakes the people. Look at the first verse of the 52nd chapter. He's in Isaiah, by the way. Awake! Awake! Put on strength! Wake up, you sleepy Christians! Awake, thou that sleepeth! Arise from the dead, for Christ will give you life. Amen? What do you think of the church of Jesus Christ today? Is it largely sleeping? Do we see a group of people who come to church every week? Their lives are distant from what Christianity really is. Is the church of Jesus Christ largely sleeping? This morning, our message, Peter here says, I'm going to stir you up. I'm going to wake you up by way of reminder. Don't become lax in Christianity. Wake up. See, we want the meat of the scripture, but sometimes we can't even digest the milk of it. 
So let me stir you up. Remember where you came from. You were sick. You were distant from God. And in His grace, He rescued you from sin. He gave you new life. Fresh life. He breathed life into you. You were born again. He caused you to be born again. You were hopeless and helpless. And He gave you life. Do you remember? Let me stir you up. I want you to just think right now of that time in your life where you knew you were distant. And you felt God waking you up, giving you new life. Do you remember? Do you remember what it was like? Maybe it was a progression for you. Maybe you remember the exact moment. Maybe you know where you were sitting. Listen, I was kneeling on the front porch at 12112 East Benton Road in Tickfall, Louisiana, the big metropolis. And I remember the revival preacher coming and asking us, do you know what it means to be born again? I'm like, have no clue. He began to share the gospel, and I got on my knees, and I said, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I don't want to go to hell. I know I'm a sinner. Listen, God saved me on that front porch. He breathed life into me. I stopped digging in my nose. I was so convicted. I didn't want to do nothing wrong. Man, God just began to work in my life. And I stand here today as a testimony. Why? Because Christ has given me life. And every once in a while, I need to be reminded of where he's brought me from. I need to be stirred up. You know, he's told us. Um, that we have a sure calling and election that we talked about. He declared us righteous, therefore we can be righteous. So, Paul writes in Philippians 2 that we're to shine like stars in a wicked and perverse generation as we continue to work out our salvation, as we continue to progress in our salvation. See, salvation just started there for me on that front porch. It just began there, but God has sanctified me, has continually moved in my life. To make me who I am. Listen, I'm not who I want to be. But praise God, I'm not who I was. He's moved in my life and I'm different. And I pray to God that you are too. That Those are the things he's reminding them of. That your life is to be continually sanctified in Christ. So pray that uh, you too, as long as you're in this body, will be stirred up like Peter stirs them up. That you'll, you'll be stirred up and you'll stir others up. Amen? That you'll, you'll give a continuous... Uh, a continuous and endless number of wake-up calls to people in this life. Christians who have, who have fallen asleep on their watch, you'll shake them and wake them up. How can Peter say this? How can Peter remind them of these things? How can he say that I'm going to even leave something with you? Well, it's because Peter had uh, authority in what he said simply because he was an eyewitness. Look at verse 16 through 18 again. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He saw it firsthand. Peter saw it. Now, having touched on what truth is, Peter describes what truth is not here. Truth is not a myth. Myths are, are speculations or, or fables or fictions dreamed up by people to illustrate life, maybe to compare uh, analogies to spiritual truths or, or simply to entertain people by drawing them into their, their moving stories. Peter was surrounded by these ancient uh, religions, the Romans, the Greeks, the Persians, the Egyptians, who had, had all concocted all sorts of myths regarding the exploits of their gods. I, I was reminded this week as I've, I've got an I've got a aggravation in my Achilles. I was reminded of the Greek god Achilles, who, who was said to have been dipped by his mother in some kind of solution that made him invincible. Every part of his body 
except the back part of his leg. And, and if you follow the, the Greek mythology, you'll see that he was killed by an arrow that struck him in the back of his leg. Thus, he had an Achilles heel. You've heard that before? These myths that are made up by these different folks. What can we compare that to? Because typically, there, there are still people who follow those myths, by the way, who, who believe in Greek gods and all sorts of things. But what can we compare that to? What's most closely related to that? I would say that fictional movies and novels may be the modern equivalent of myths. Star Wars. It may entertain you, but no one in their right mind believes that these characters really existed somewhere in a galaxy far, far away. Right? I mean, even, even J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, contain, they contain intentional parallels to uh, Christian truths, but nobody believes in the existence of a Middle Earth or that a parallel universe exists in a spare closet. I mean, really, those are just kind of, they're just kind of mythical things. They're, they're fables, they're tales. And some of them may illustrate some truths, but that's not what Peter's getting at. Peter is making a clear distinction that the foundational Christian claims about the coming of Christ, his death, his resurrection, do not fall into the genre category of myth. These are not just fairy tales. These are not just illustrations. These are not just things that compare to what might be or what might have been. These are things that he saw with his very own eyes. This is important. How could he make this claim with such certainty? He saw it firsthand. He and other disciples have seen the majesty of Christ with their own eyes. Hold your place in 2 Peter and go to 1 John. It's just a couple pages over. Maybe the next page. I want you to listen to another testimony of someone who was an eyewitness. Look at, at John chapter, 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have, what? Seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ these men who who wrote the new testament these were eyewitnesses these were guys who were there when it happened that's important peter's illustration here is the transfiguration if you remember the inner circle peter james and john went up on the mountain with jesus and he was transfigured there. He was, he was in some way, his face was shining. And he had a, a robe of, of sorts of white. And it was, it was this strange encounter that they were able to see with their own eyes. And they were on top of this mountain, probably Mount Hermon. Uh, it was much like uh, when Moses wanted to see the glory of God and God's glory passed by him and Moses' face was shining on the mountain. It was much like that. So Peter saw this, this uh, transfiguration. I just want you to imagine with me, you're a Jewish person, like Peter, just for a moment. And, and that may be difficult, but go with me here. You would know that God spoke, as a Jew, in written form on Mount Sinai, as he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. He wrote on those tablets. They were the finger of God. And, and now you're on another mountain. You're on Mount Hermon, and you hear God speak audibly, pointing to Jesus, the Word made flesh according to the Scriptures. And guess who appears on the mountain with Jesus at the Transfiguration? Elijah, Moses and Elijah. The Old Testament representatives of the Law and the Prophets. 
Peter would have come to the conclusion, probably not in that moment, but definitely in his writing here, that in Jesus, the things written in the Old Testament are fulfilled. And so he's moving us to this point where we look at the scriptures, these Old Testament scriptures, and he's showing the readers here and us that, that the idea here is that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. The law of the prophets. Jesus did this. He's walking along the road to Emmaus, right, with the, with the two guys, and they're uh, Cleopas and some other guy. They don't mention his name, but they do mention Cleopas. So they're walking along, and, and they're, they don't understand the scriptures. They're kind of disappointed because they thought Jesus was the Messiah, and he wasn't. Now, they don't recognize him, but Jesus is walking along with them, and he says, oh, oh you who are foolish of heart. I mean, you, you don't get it. And he began to open the scriptures and showed them everything in the law and prophets concerning himself, is what the scripture says. It all points to Jesus. And we see the first case of spiritual heartburn. <laughs> As they begin to say, were not our hearts burning within us when he explained the scriptures to us on that, on that fall? And so, the reality is, none of us have been on a mountain where we saw God transfigured. That would have been nice, right? To see departed saints and hear God himself confirm the truth of the Christian message. And that is why Peter transitions from the reliability of the message of the apostles to the reliability of the enduring written word of God, the Holy Scriptures. And so the second thing I want you to see this morning is we have a faithful testimony from Holy Scriptures. Look at verses 19 through 21. Verse 19 reads, And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we see that we have a prophetic word made more sure. What is this prophetic word? It refers to, the, to all of Scripture, not just prophecy books. Because remember, all of Scripture points toward Jesus. And he further clarifies in verse 20 where he says prophecy of Scripture. And so in Scripture we have God's truth stated in written form, able to be read, studied, pondered, applied, all by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Its truth never changes. It never goes out of date. It is sure and steadfast. And everybody said, Amen. You've been taught that all your life, haven't you? Isn't this a reminder of things? That God's word is the word of God. It is strong. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We've hidden his word in our heart that we might not sin against God. You know these things about God's word. So what, Peter, what does Peter mean by saying we have something more sure? Well, Peter is saying, don't just take my word for it. Look at the scriptures yourself. Meaning that if you don't believe me, look at the scriptures we are only reporting what they said would happen. Up until this point, there was a promised Messiah. And we talked about promises last week. There were promises that Christ would come, that a Messiah would come and rescue his people. Peter and the other apostles are only reporting things that are in line with things that were already written. <coughs> Do you catch that? That's important. Not one New Testament writer contradicts an Old Testament prophecy. And so we see that we have a more sure testimony. Peter's testimony is only confirmed by the fact that he reports what was foretold to happen. So verse 19, he says, You will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Does that verse sound familiar? Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a 
lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Folks, we live in a dark, dimly lit world. A world filled with evil and wickedness. Where even our own human wisdom and understanding are untrustworthy guides. You will hear people say, follow your heart. Look at the scriptures. The scripture says your heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Don't follow your heart. Follow Christ. Follow his word. Don't follow your own understanding. Why? Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge me in all your ways, and I'll make your path straight. Listen, folks, we are messed up. I'm glad I could encourage you this morning. <laughs> we need help, and so God enlightens us. He has given us his word. So we must rely on the sure guidance of God's word to light our paths. And we're going to come back to this part where he says there's a new dawn and this, this uh, light shining in us. Look at verse 20 and 21. It says, first of all, knowing this, knowing this, first of all, that, that means you should perk up right there. So everybody ought to get excited. This is of first importance. This is, this is some good stuff that can come at you. Uh, and, and basically he says there, no prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We know that the scriptures were written by over 40 men over a period of 15 to 2,000 years on three different continents and three different languages and all these different kind of ideas that you hear thrown out there. But we also know that the source of Scripture is only one. It has one author, as Pastor Andy so eloquently played, uh, said last Sunday night. It, the Scriptures have one author, and that is God. The source is God. It's not produced by the will of man, but men, unique men, who had personality, who had different writing styles, who had different life experiences. It says they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Picture, if you will, the wind blowing this morning, carrying objects in the air. We're in South Louisiana. We know about wind carrying things through the air. That's the idea here. These men, as they were wrote, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God used them to write these passages, but they were guided. They were carried along. These men were not writing their ideas, but they were writing God's ideas. The scripture is not a record of, of fallible human ideas and interpretations of God's revelation. It is God's actual, inerrant, and authoritative word written through human authors who were prevented from error as they wrote the original documents by the providential work of the Holy Spirit. I want you to take your worship guide with you this morning, the music guide, and look on the back. In our statement of faith here at the Vine, I wrote that there for you to read and to keep with you. This is what we believe about the Holy Scriptures, part of what we believe, the, the main point of what we believe about the Scriptures. God has revealed all that is necessary for life and salvation in the 66 books of the Bible, which is the Word of God. All scripture is inerrant, meaning it doesn't have errors. It's not messed up. And it's infallible. It never fails. Transmitted through human authors by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Scripture alone is the final authority in all matters of doctrine and practice. The authority of scripture is derived from its author and not from the opinions of men. And everybody said, Amen. Now where did we get that from? We got that from scripture. We, inter we, we get that from scripture. It's not something we came up with like we're some kind of special people that can come up with good ideas. These are things from Scripture. 
that the scriptures are the sole authority for faith and practice. Not everybody teaches this. Not even everybody who claims to be a Christian teaches this. But the scriptures are the sole authority for faith and practice. This is our sure standard for our beliefs and our behaviors. This is what's true. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This word is trustworthy because it is God's word, not man's. It did not come from man. It came from God. I like the way Vody Balkan puts it in preaching this same text. He says, the Bible, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report to a supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim to be divine rather than human in origin. So what's the point? Peter says, I am making every effort for people to remember these things after life was over. He left this testimony. He was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God was carrying him along as he wrote these things. When the apostles left this life, they left the scripture to guide the church in sound teaching. Why did they leave it? Because false teachers would come, as we'll see in the coming weeks. But readers could turn to scripture and reaffirm their biblical foundations, not only for what they believed, but also how they lived. And so, for us this morning, only by centering our faith on God's word are we able to discern false doctrine and defeat deceitful claims of heretics. This is just as relevant to us as it was them. There are false teachings around us, just as there were around them. So, I want to share two important truths from this passage as a way of application for you this morning. The first one is this. Remember that when you turn to God's word, you are consulting the most reliable of all sources. The world is filled with truth claims, alternate sources of re uh, revelation, and competing philosophies. But the Bible alone contains God's written word, an objective and unchanging standard of truth. The second thing is this. I want you to remember that when you make other sources, because we are fleshly, and we will do this, when you make other sources experience, dreams, feelings, supernatural phenomenon, or even your opinions, when you make those equal to or more reliable than scriptures, you fall into error. Nothing can be exalted above God's word. Peter fills his letter with warnings against those who have placed a different source of knowledge above God's word. And we'll see in the coming weeks the results are disastrous for doing that. And finally, Peter makes... Another important point here. He never leaves his readers without hope for the future. I want you to look at verse 19 again. It says, We have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This points clearly to the second coming of Christ. We live in a dark world for sure. But our hero, our rescuer, our savior, who has given us everything we need for life and godliness, he's coming back. He's coming back. And this old dim world will be lit up. And the sun, the S-U-N, won't need to shine because the sun, the S-O-N, will be its light. 
Because he's coming. Jesus who died and rose again, who ascended to the Father, will also return. To which we say, as John did at the end of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. 